It's Dear Instructional Designer, episode 23. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Instructional Designer, the show about the instructional design journey. I'm your host, Kristen Anthony. It's season two of Dear ID, a season of episodes on the tools, tech, and solutions that IDs employ. Today's guest is EJ LeBlanc, an avid ID maker and experimenter. EJ is an ID business owner who I've seen around the storyline eLearning Heroes Challenges and Twitter. And when I found out that he was adding Unity to his toolset, I knew I wanted to have him on the show. Unity, for those of you who don't know, is actually a gaming engine, so a tool that most folks use to create 2D and 3D games, as well as many of those virtual reality experiences that have become the new buzz in instructional design. EJ shares his experience with his toolset, as well as how he decided that Unity was one of the tools that he wanted to make time to learn. Without further ado, here's my conversation with EJ. All right, so let's get started, EJ. So... Tell me a little bit about how you became an instructional designer. Well, I started in the, this goes way back to the Navy. Whenever I was 19 years old, I joined the Navy and in the Navy, I was a sonar technician for submarines. And so whenever I first reported to my boat, they considered me a non-useful body or nub. And in order to, in order to totally put me in a safe spot, I, they get me out of the way and not cause any harm whatsoever. They put me in front of what they considered to be this useless machine called the EMPQR22. And so I sat down at this machine and, and they said, Nub, sit there. And uh, so I did. And, and I realized what was happening, that I was considered useless and <laughs> because the system was considered. I said, what's this thing do? And they said, oh, that's a useless piece of junk. Don't worry about it. Just sit there. And uh, and I, I I was bound and determined to at that point become the very best AMBQR22 operator that I could possibly be, and uh, so I went ahead and in addition to the rest of my ship's qualifications, I found uh, went through the submarine onboard training library or the SOBIT library, and I found these CD-ROMs nestled away, hidden away behind all these like little videos. And uh, I found I found these CD-ROMs specifically for the AMBQR22, and I devoured them. I took the journeyman course, the apprentice course, and the master level course. I took them all in three weeks, in addition to the rest of my shipboard qualifications, and uh, very quickly mastered that system. And it's all CD-ROMs. All you know, had, it was whoever put that together did a brilliant job. It was exactly what I needed. And so whenever I sat down, suddenly I knew the most on the boat for the AMPQR22. And I would try to, whenever I sat down on the sonar shack, I would try to tell, tell, tell people, hey, you see this thing over here? This is amazing. This is, this is, uh, you could do this and this and this with it. And no, nobody cared. They're like, quiet, look on, shut up. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until one day I went in and, the main sonar system is called for this particular submarine is called the ANBQQ6 sonar system, and it shut down. And unit two of that system was eating through power supplies left and right. And every time we would replace a power supply, 
it would be immediately chewed up by by whatever was going wrong with unit two and so we were done like we we couldn't see and people were making jokes deploy the cane array and uh basically i i walked into the shack and specifically because of those cd-roms that computer-based training i look over and i look at my baby the beaker r22 and it's working like a champ so within 30 seconds of walking in and you know seeing the problem putting the headphones on Sonar Supervisor Kane Spherical Ray Demonstrates Bearing 314 uh, Classified Surface Contact by Nature of Sound. And I had everyone's attention and spent the next 24 hours training and teaching everybody else everything I knew about the BQR-22 and basically became the very best BQR eventually, you know, not just because of that, but eventually became the very best BQR-22 operator in the Atlantic Fleet. And got two Navy Achievement Medals, Admiral's Letters, all sorts of other good stuff. And, uh, you know, the thing that I loved the most about being in the Navy was was learning that complex system. And there was a couple of others, too, but this was the main one, where I learned a complex system and then taught other people how it worked. Loved it. Couldn't get enough of that. And uh, so I'm a sci-fi nerd. So I wanted to... Whenever I got out of the Navy, what did I think of myself doing? I thought about, and I knew I was going to be a teacher. What would I teach? I wasn't really interested in electronics per se, and I didn't want to, you know, go after that. But I loved reading and I loved writing and uh, loved science fiction. So how could I go write science fiction? Well, I became an English teacher <laughs> and uh, ended up trying to change the world. Stars in my eyes. Wanted to become the very best English teacher ever you know, inspire kids to read, write, and think. And I got in trouble an awful lot at my <laughs> job as an English teacher. You know, uh, five years of getting in trouble. Uh, one of the final straws was when I, you know, actually before I get into that, as an English teacher, whenever I was getting in trouble for doing things like, you know, having my my students take the spelling words and the vocabulary words and use that to write a contextual story, you know, use those in context to write a story. This is something that my daughter came home here, her first homework assignment here in Virginia as a fourth grader. That was her first homework assignment mm -hmm. as a fourth grader. And I got in trouble for doing that. Like, 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 what are you doing kind of thing for doing that as an eighth grade English teacher in uh, Mobile, Alabama. And so like ridiculous amounts of heartache and pain from every front because because of that. So that's one of many things. And so in order to gain credibility, I went ahead and decided to go after my uh, instructional design development master's degree from the, uh, the University of South Alabama, which was right down the street, and specifically to be a better English teacher and to gain the credibility that was needed to produce culture change and so that I could start building the relationships that were that I needed in order to produce that kind of change. And I, you know, I failed miserably at that, at, at trying to produce that change. Mm. So one of the things that, you know, one of the final straws that happened with my career as an English teacher was I was teaching Romeo and Juliet and, you know, kids were out in the hallway apparently insulting each other using Elizabethan English. <laughs> yeah. And so I bite so, my thumb at thee. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> so whatever they, so whatever they uh, told me, you know, the principal came to me and he said, I, and he is a good guy. I, I, you know, very much respect this person. 
But whenever he said, Mr. LeBlanc, uh, we had a complaint from a parent, and the parent said they don't know what the what the children were saying because they couldn't understand it. But apparently it was very bad because of the way that they were saying it. So <laughs> therefore, we are going to ban Romeo and Juliet from the whole school. And I was like in the middle of the lessons. And, and uh, so they went ahead and banned the whole thing. And I, I, I was just done. Like I was I was toast at that point. And yeah, I said, I'm not yeah. coming, I'm not coming back. And one of those one of the things that gave me the wherewithal to say that was just the fact that I had a I in in taking the instructional design and development, one of the classes I took was trends and issues in instructional design and development. Jack Dempsey was my teacher and he it was my professor. And he had it to where one week of the course was all about instructional design of the military. And I realized this like a light bulb went off that, oh my goodness, I am becoming just I am becoming one of the people that helped me be so successful in the Navy in the Navy. Mm-hmm. What can I do? I gotta, you know, this is this is the field for me. And uh, I jumped ship at that point and and really didn't, you know, I kind of wistfully look back, you know, I'm still an English teacher at heart. You know, I love teaching kids, you know, but you know, since then I've decided to pour my heart into being the very best instructional design designer and developer that I could possibly be. And so that's, uh, you know, haven't looked back since. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, first of all, that's a super interesting journey. I don't think we've heard a journey quite like that before, but secondly, I'm just, I guess I'm a little shocked that you had like this super awesome training experience in the Navy, <laughs> right? <So laughs> the government is, is one of those places that we, you know, my mom works for the, the federal government and she talks about how their training is just terrible, but like yours was awesome and inspired you on this lifelong career. So that's, that's really interesting. Was, was it simulations or what was it about it that was so good? It basically, perf- it was all performance-based. Whoever, whoever uh-huh. put that together really knew what they were doing. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they, it was perfectly contextually prepared to get you know it was exactly what i needed to learn how to run that system in as quick a time as i needed like they knew who i was they knew that you know they knew that i would be a young sailor sitting in front of a computer you know fathoms beneath the deep you know fathoms built beneath the surface of the atlantic ocean somewhere and you know just working on working on that, uh, learning how, how to use that system. And I would say that the military knows training and the military knows training very well. Mm-hmm. I got to work, and it's not just the military. I also got to work at the Center for Domestic Preparedness, part of the Department of Homeland Security. They know training well. And I know, uh, you know, specifically because they even have an event there where if you don't you know, and they haven't had a fatality or anything there, but there's lethal gas. That's that's part of the training scenario, and you need to look. If you don't do your stuff right, you're going to die. Uh, that's part of the training scenario. <laughs> uh, very high risk. Very, you know, but you know, because everybody understands the risk and they're perfectly prepared for it. There's been no fatalities or injuries there, uh, at least to the point that I know of today. I might be mistaken about that now uh, in the years that I've, since I've left there, but in the, and then I left from there to go work at the Coast Guard and uh, worked with Coast Guard Aviation, did a lot of training, helping Coast Guard pilots learn how to 
first I taught them how to use this multi-million dollar simulator that, uh, to quote one of the pilots there, it's like, we got this Ferrari, but we can't get it out of gear, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they had this multi-million dollar training, training simulator, but they couldn't facilitate a learning experience in a simulated environment. And so we got to work with simulators and, and teach the teach these awesome instructor pilots who are you know super experts in their field how to yearn, how to use this the instructor operating station to create this awesome simulated environment. Uh, the military yeah the military knows training really well and that that led into e-learning and they have some 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 snafus some situation normal all fouled up every once in a while but. If anyone is quick to identify that, it's the military, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll do whatever is necessary to rectify that and and get get what's needed done. So I I, I can't speak for a lot of government training. We actually did this one project recently with uh, I say recently it was uh two years ago with Department of Homeland Security while I was working for a company called Harcon, mm-hmm. and whoever our predecessor was did not do a very good job on the e-learning and that was the reason why Harkon was brought in on the the contract and for pennies on the dollar again we were able to turn around and make a great great e-learning experience but by and large the government i don't i can't speak for the government as a whole but the military in particular and department of homeland security in particular they know good training awesome awesome it's really good to hear yeah so EJ, where where are you working now? Can you say? Yes, uh, I've got um, working on a couple of fronts. First one is I actually just started working with Rachel Barnum. Oh, awesome! Great, part time uh, right now at a at, at Finra, uh, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. Mm-hmm. And right now it's part time because I am currently engaged in multiple projects on. You know, one of you know working with a interactive infographics for one particular project that's not instructional design per se, but it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's taking information and presenting it to key stakeholders, and uh, it's almost a it's almost more akin to marketing, but you've got to you've got to take information and and the you know so that's one of the projects that I'm working on. Then there's a couple of others that uh, that are always in the back burner for my business, EJ LeBlanc LLC, and that's been my bread and butter for the past two years. Has been working on various projects, lots of hard lessons learned, but thankfully, I've been able to be uh, successful, profitable. And whenever I first started, I was uh, moving away from working over 90 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And I still work a lot. I think it's part of my character, but I am working far less now. I'm always getting good, you know, getting that, if not a good night's sleep, then at least some sleep, you know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And because I've learned, I've learned, you know, like uh, in one of your previous podcasts, you talked about what people do to avoid burnout. Well, I have burned out. I have totally, completely burned out. And I know what it's like, mm-hmm. and uh, it takes a long time to get over that. And so, like I said, lots of hard lessons learned, but you know, my projects are the better for them. And even, you know, but anyway, as far as that, I think that I don't know if I'm answering your question, but the short of it is this I have a business, personal business. It is 
you know, it serves a wide range of contracts, uh, everything from e-learning to performance solutions to, like I was saying, a, a mixture of solutions. And then I'm just starting to work part-time with, as an instructional designer and developer with Venra. Okay, that's awesome. I, yes, you absolutely answered the question. And I, I love to hear these these journeys. And I, you know what, I, I'm going to admit that I am completely jealous of all of you guys with your your fancy e-learning businesses. It's so awesome, though, to see so many people who can, you know, make it and really, really And you have a good are business. one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you are, that's a fact. One I collaborate guys. with you in a heartbeat. <laughs> Not, like I tweeted a long time ago, I don't know if you remember this, but this was, uh, I tweeted to you a long time ago that that would be only a matter of time before you would be, you know, and it's up to you, obviously, but you know, you call yourself in the past couple of episodes a newbie instructional designer. I look at you as 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 uh, someone that is absolutely desperately needed in our field, and we need more uh, design design thinking. We and and a lot of people are throwing around design thinking like a buzzword, but you're living it. So we need more of that. So please, by all means, keep going and keep striving and uh, keep sharing and keep doing your best. So we need more of that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I really hope that everyone who listens to the show gets on the train with this, EJ. There's room <laughs> on the train, you guys. There's room on the train for everybody. That's right. So before we dig into that um, infographic that you talked about, because that, that's going to be one of the things that we talked about today, but I, I want to talk about just sort of general solution building. Like what would you say is sort of in your toolbox for designing and developing learning experiences? Absolutely. I use, uh, obviously, Articulate Storyline as far as e-learning is concerned. Mm -hmm. I have pencil and paper for, I I guess at the top of the list would be pencil and paper and uh, a listening ear. Almost everything, almost every major success that I've had has happened because I just so happened to be hearing, uh, just so happened to be a fly on the wall you know, listening to the right conversation, mm-hmm. you know, where some guy was talking about some problem that he was having and, you know, went home and thought about, well, what could, what, what could we do about that? And talk to other people about that and listen to what they had to say. And then, you know, went from there. So, but as far as technology, it's Adobe Creative Cloud, definitely Photoshop, Illustrator, you know, Adobe Edition, After Effects. I'm not very good with After Effects, uh, but I could use a template like like uh, <laughs> like, like there's no tomorrow and uh, articulate storyline for e-learning. I like Adobe Captivate an awful lot, uh, and I hope that Articulate Storyline 3 takes a lot of notes from where, where Captivate 7, 8, and especially 9 have gone. It's amazing as far as all the responsive design and the different things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm a baby coder still, but I use Visual Studio, you know, uh, Visual Studio co- Code. And uh, um, uh, of course, I use Microsoft Office. PowerPoint is powerful. should not be underestimated. Yeah. And I use Access. Uh, I'm learning to use Access and building relational databases. Wow, Really? Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever met anybody who actually uses Access. Oh man, and it's powerful. You know, it is good. Like it is. You know, the thing about Access is that with uh, without programming, you could build a JSON database. Like you could build, like you could build 
you know, basically whatever you need. And, and the, the key reason why I'm using it is because one of my clients, they uh, work in what's called a SCIF, uh, Secure Compartmentalized Information Facility. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, they, there's only certain tools that they have and they can't, you know, so if they're wanting to create and display information that they need to maintain on their own, well, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. Well, they, you, you got to teach them how to run a database. Uh, <laughs> and so not only that means that you got to know how to run the database. So that's, that's where, that's where access has really entered into my, it's gone way up on the chain for my toolkit as far as how important it is and how important understanding relational databases are. Camtasia and Snagit, I use it every day for especially Snagit. My go-to learning management system is definitely Moodle. Mm-hmm. And I just started uh, using a tool called Unity, uh, Unity 3D. All right. So, yeah, let's let's jump into Unity. So you are using that, as I understand it, for this interactive infographic. And I've I've certainly heard of Unity. Probably a lot of people listening may have seen the term thrown around, but could you explain really what Unity is? Yeah, uh, Unity is one of the leading game engines. Like uh, a game engine is what a developer uses to make a video game. And using a game engine is kind of like using Articulate Storyline or Adobe Captivate, but you, it's a lot more advanced than that. You pretty much need to know a lot more and it's a lot more complicated. And, but the complication yields so much more power, power over what you're able to do and all the different things that you're, you're able to convey in, in that, you know, full on video game. So uh, you could create a 2d video game. You could create a 3d video game using unity. You could, and, and like I'm using it to just display information by, you know, simply moving the camera around, right now. Uh, I've tried to make a video game before, a learning video game before. Uh, my first project, in fact, with Unity, you know, one of my, one of my great failures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all need this. Yeah, uh, but it was. It was a spectacular failure. Was, you know, using Unity to promote, was using Unity as an authoring tool to create a video game where that I was hoping would pr- would replace a uh, security awareness course, and I just didn't have a clue what I was doing. You know, it was it was very it was uh, I seriously underestimated the learning curve mm-hmm. for that. And I, I explained that right. I was very transparent. Hey, I don't know anything about this, but I would like to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, but yeah, it failed. Uh, <laughs> and but it was good though. Like it was a great learning experience, and I began to realize. At that point, especially working like I tried uh, last December, uh, I tried as part of right before The Force Awakens came out, I tried to make a an homage to one of my favorite old video games called X-Wing and using Articulate Storyline because mm-hmm. that was a, uh, the storyline challenge that week, the e-learning heroes challenge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, I got to participate in that. And so I tried to make, you know, this try to simulate the experience in some way. And I wanted to create this X, Y axis where, I, you know, using variables and triggers, I could go ahead and move the, the screen and pretend that the, the screen was actually moving along by moving the background. And I sort of succeeded in that, but nowhere near as 
as as awesome as I wanted to make it. Yeah. And so, you know, one of my one of my thoughts in that was, hey, I sure wish I could use something like Unity. And other people have. Other people have, you know, entered into the foray of combining things like Articulate Storyline and Unity and, you know, Captivate and Unity. And some people are are beginning to really take this on. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like, so you went with Unity for this project so that you could do more and, and have that more, more complexity and really, really push the boundaries beyond what your typical authoring tool can do. But so I guess my next question would be sort of why Unity? Why not another gaming engine like um, Construct 2 or Phaser's a little tough, but, you know, why not another gaming engine? Why Unity? Sure. Uh, first of all, Construct 2 is great uh, if you don't know how to code. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to make a 2D game, if you're trying to make a 2D game, Construct's, uh, and, and you're just getting into it, Construct's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are actually familiar with with code, a tool like uh, Unity, Lumberjack from uh, Adobe, excuse me, Amazon just uh, released a free oh, right. uh, right. game engine called Lumberjack. Yeah. Uh, and I, I actually like downloaded that. And uh, but my like I said, I use Visual Studio, and right now Visual Studio isn't compatible with uh, Lumberjack. And then, of course, there's the Unreal Engine, which you don't need to code at all, actually, for the Unreal Engine. It has this wonderful visual interface. I haven't messed around with it. I, I'm really I'm focused on just learning Unity right now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it is very, you know, as far as why I would choose Unity over something like Construct or even those other tools, one, Unity is extremely popular mm-hmm. and it's extremely diverse. So I could create a 2D game with it. I could create a 3D game with it. Almost 90% of all the Samsung Gear VR games, you know, all the you know the VR experiences with the Samsung Gear VR. Mm-hmm. You, do you know what I'm talking about? The, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's um, almost 90% of those experiences are made with uh, Unity. In fact, it's not just virtual reality or, or you know, uh, gaming like mobile gaming. It's a platform that you could, Unity can go ahead and export to all the major devices, iOS, Windows, Linux, you know, all the different VR, major VR and AR. But it's also AR. Like, for example, Pokemon, mm-hmm. uh, Pokemon Go mm-hmm. is powered by Unity. And Unity is just tearing, tearing it up right now. It's, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't call it the leading, but it's becoming that. If it's not already, it's it's you know it just got evaluated at one point five billion dollars. Unity Technologies as a company, mm-hmm. so I'm in, very much interested in learning how to use this tool to create. And even if I'm not the actual one, like I man, if if anyone listening to this is a Unity developer, a hardcore Unity developer, and is working on some type of learning game or would like to collaborate with with me on this, man, please reach out because. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to, this is something I'm dedicated on working on. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So Unity gaming platform, very big, which means a lot of support. So yes, that, that's always really awesome. What, what languages does it use? What do you have to code in? Well, there's a couple of the, the first ones that you should know, which I'm, like I said, I'm learning is C sharp. Oh, okay. And that's and that's uh, that's kind of like a standard 
And the cool thing about that is it's not just a gaming programming language. That's a programming language. Mm -hmm. Like you could, you could, you could make things with this one. And I'm, like I said, I'm a newbie programmer. So I kind of veer between, you know, reading the forums and seeing, you know, okay, what is this C sharp script? Can I do it in a special version of, of JavaScript which it, it, it's almost it practically is JavaScript, and it, it's so much like JavaScript that they call it JavaScript on like the front page, but really it's Unity script. It's a it's a specialized version of JavaScript, but it's you know it's you know uh, if you could if you could use JavaScript, uh, you could get on and program with whatever you want. You could do just about as far as I've seen so far, anything you could do in C sharp and Unity, you could do in JavaScript and Unity. Oh, that's awesome. Which is awesome, <laughs> and and then of course there's other tools like uh, one of the first things that got me really excited about using Unity was this uh, particular. If you go to the Asset Store, you could actually download and implement inside of Unity a whole host of plugins and models and scenarios and full-on games that you could make and and clone and and turn into whatever you want. You know, like uh, for example, there's an isometric toolkit that you could use to create these isometric learning experiences, uh, you, you know, isometric graphics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Then there's Adventure Creator, where you don't need to code at all. Once you pro- plug in this thing, it's almost it becomes just like an authoring tool. Everything's menu-driven. You don't need to code at all at that point. You could create e-learning experiences uh, with Adventure Creator. It's, it's 70 bucks extra, but, I mean, come on. You know, you get full 3D experiences for for 70 bucks extra, you know, uh, and like I said, infinitely more powerful mm-hmm. than manipulating ping files, uh, PNG files. Right. You know, <laughs> right. Uh, I've got a full 3D model that I could peek around, see what's up, manipulate, open and close, do whatever I need to do. That's that's unity. So, yeah. I mean, so are, are these models and that I guess that's sort of my next question is you know, what other competencies are, are involved here? Like, are, are these models something that you have to go off and create yourself, like in CAD, or or are you using their asset store to get these things? I am uh, I am probably giving the Unity asset store a lot of good business. Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, you know, but... The go-to tool that most indie developers that I've read about have been using is Blender, mm-hmm. which is free. And I, you know, one of the books that uh, is on my reading list is making. You know, and I started reading it a long time ago, but then got it got uh, it wasn't what I needed at that particular time. Uh, basically, making games with Unity and Blender, and it went from the whole process very quickly into this whole, you know, anyway, it was not what I needed. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what then are you using to learn about unity? Is, are you just like trial and error and the forums looking stuff up? Uh, well, yes, yes. And yes. Yeah. Uh, but there's also this wonderful book that I've been reading. If you go to pack publishing and pack publishing is my friend. I love pack publishing every day. I go to their free e-learning, you know, like every day you've got free learning forever. If you go to their main page Mm -hmm. and if you go on your cell phone, you're not going to be able to see it. So you actually have to like type in the link manually one time, save it to your favorites. 
<laughs> and every day you could go and get the free learning forever and uh, click your, the claim your free ebook. And so one, you know, not so long ago, they actually had a unity week where they were, you know, giving out free books on unity every day. And so one of the books, though, I bought a whole bunch of them. Uh, but one of the books I did buy that wasn't a free book was making e-learning with uh, with Unity. Uh, uh, I'm trying to look up the exact game, uh, the exact name right now. I'm looking through the list of books that I got. Uh, so I'm e, yeah, creating e-learning games with Unity by David Horacek. And uh, so I bought the print version of that, and I've been going through the. the you know, it's basically a step-by-step -step tutorial that teaches you everything from the GUI to, to everything else. I mean, it's 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 really good, and some of it's outdated, but it, the the differences are so small that you're still able to, you know, figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, because it, it does. At any rate, it's 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 been a really good aid for me. Uh, then there's a whole bunch of other books that uh, that I've read uh, on that, but. Almost all of them, have, all the books or whatnot that I have, are directly from Pact Publishing. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, we'll put we'll put links to all of that in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Um, I'm interested now. Thanks, EJ. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but okay, so let let's talk about that. Um, I you know there are all the all the stuff that I want to do, all of these things that I want to learn and try, and so I mean how. For you, how are you sort of positioning Unity and learning Unity? Like you, you talked about that you were sort of focusing on it, but you know, when you focus on one thing, other things sort of tend to fade away. Totally. Um, and so, like, is that, do you feel like that's a good investment for you long term to focus on being able to really be able to develop in Unity? Yes. Uh, and, and that is like, I feel as if if someone, you know, like I just finished a project with Articulate Storyline, you know, where we basically made a very simple e-learning project that uh, very little, very minimal interactivity, uh, level one. And but basically it was also in English, Spanish and Portuguese. And uh, so, we, you know, we had to work that out a little bit and and so I feel like my I got to keep my skills sharp. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for the, you know, the projects that I have that come up in Articulate Storyline, then I would force myself to go do an e-learning challenge or something like that in order to keep my skills in, you know, every, you know, in Captivate. And I, I mentioned Captivate and Storyline in particular mm -hmm. at the exclusion of Lectora because Lectora did me wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no offense to Lectora. They have been working very, very hard. And yeah, I could see that in, in the latest versions of Lectora. I could see how they're striving to, but I feel like, I feel like they're playing catch up, you know, right now in comparison to, you know, the, the storyline's definitely the industry leader right now. And, but Captivate is laying some smackdown, especially whenever it comes to JavaScript, you know, and, and the power that you have over the player and how, how things are presented and mm -hmm. it's responsive design. And it is the tool to use in, in those, if, if you want to take advantage of those, those cases. So that's why, like, you know, Lectora, uh, whenever I say it did me wrong, but it was my, my first e-learning tool 
that I had, that, you know, basically whatever I was a performance analyst uh, for working for the Coast Guard. Uh, it was my first job working with the Coast Guard. They saw that I was pretty good with the computers. And because uh, I made some cool stuff, you know, videos and whatnot for, you know, for those simulation, for, for the facilitated learning experiences with the Coast Guard simulators I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And so they said, hey, would you like to work with e-learning? And I said, sure. <laughs> and that was my first e-learning experience. Mm -hmm. Well, my first paid, like uh, my first e-learning experience was actually using Captivate because I flipped my classroom as an English teacher uh, uh, because they couldn't read uh, and they couldn't write. So I, I, I realized that I needed to make a, I needed to flip my classroom so that they could, I could take this really complicated lesson for this research paper that they were working on. And I wanted them to actually do the research for a meaningful way that would connect with them. So mm -hmm. I created this whole historical fiction research paper and put all the lectures and what I, and and gave it made it personalized where they could select which story they wanted to do and then used Adobe Acrobat back then lifecycle designer to create these awesome forms that they could you know tailor to whatever they needed to do in order to uh, but yeah so that was my first e-learning experience but for our paid learning you know e-learning experience was using Lectora. And it was terrible. Uh, I felt like I was at the top of the mountain trying to lift the mountain, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was awful. I would put these cool graphics in and the, they would flicker onto the page. And so they wanted a menu that, want, that, that users could keep track of their progress based off of the pages that they visited. And mm -hmm. they wanted to see if each page was visited on the menu. Lectora couldn't do that. And people said that can't be done. And that just, you know, okay, I'm going to try it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I created this really cool slide out menu where you would click this thing and this thing would slide out. And this is back in like 2012, 2013 or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, you know, they basically they totally, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. And uh, they ended up basically saying, to can that because this cool menu that I that I had all laid out would flicker on the pay, on the screen and you know text would flicker and the graphics would be and it was so distracting and I said look I, I you know we can't do it with this tool I think that this is something that we can do but we can't do it with this tool mm -hmm. and that's I was able to do everything that I did in Lectora uh, and articulate storyline in less than a third of the time so. You know, from then on out, Storyline became my go-to e-learning tool. Yeah, you know, I started out in Storyline, the first version. That was my first e-learning project. And then I went to a different job, and they had Lectora. And definitely at first, I was I was cursing everybody. I was like, why, <laughs> why did you buy this? What were you thinking? But honestly, the more I worked with it, and I have to say, the more I learned JavaScript, because I think that's really mm -hmm. the key that turns Lectora on, the the more that I really liked Lectora. And I did, we did some really huge courses, but I mean, Lectora let me do, it let me push it. And I did push it. And yeah, there were times, particularly since they don't um, support you in working with JavaScript, there were times where they were like, no, you can't do that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you can. 
you can do it. Um, so I did it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, I mean, just the biggest issue I had with them was that these huge courses that we make, they, there was always something going wrong and it was normally an explorer. And mm-hmm. um, we just learned that explorer was the devil. <laughs> but honestly, honestly, I, I, I was liking their product, but I, I do think that it's one of those things that you JavaScript is that's that's what turns it on. That's what allows you to push it. But I have to say, you're like my first person who's like, yeah, I love Captivate. Um, everybody else has been storyline users, storyline users all the way down. So I'm glad to have other perspectives on the show. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's the right. I, I believe in the right tool for the right job. Yeah. And and I know that Latora does some things like I, I listened to the e-learning uncovered uh diane oh diane elkins and uh tim slade artists in e-learning they, they present uh every year a, a comparison of the tools uh and I, I i watch those and they're very good and i know that 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 i, I want to be tool agnostic mm-hmm. Uh, even with Unity, like there's Unreal out there, but I'm going to focus on one first yeah. and, you know, really know what it does, know what it's capable of before I even think about going after another, you know, uh, another major, I, I consider there to be three big, you know, the big three in the e-learning world are definitely, you know, uh, Storyline, Captivate, and Lectora. And then, of course, uh, like there's a whole slew of other tools out there. Like one of the ones that I think should be more popular, but isn't, is the uh, Zebra Zaps. Mm. And uh, have you a, used that? Like it, it looked cool, but I, I've never, never used it. I have not used it. I actually have a promise to keep uh, regarding using that, and I'll use that though before I go back. Uh, I will finish that and go back to Lectora though and and check it out especially because I didn't know JavaScript at all yeah uh, whenever whenever I first started you know and it was it was my first e-learning project mm-hmm. so maybe with new eyes and with all the updates because it's completely different yeah it's changed a lot right so hopefully all of my concerns are you know moot points but I'll co- I'll go back and I'll look at that I mean so that that's interesting like do I'm I'm Again, I'm I'm conflicted because there there are all these tools and I want to try them, but again, like there's there's this point at with at which you have to sacrifice breadth for depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, do do you see yourself continuing to try different tools, or at some point maybe culling your toolbox, or or do you try different tools first and then and then cull your to, your toolbox? Well, as far as calling goes, I would definitely say that Lectora has been called. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and but I I don't want to I don't want to be, you know, here's my here's my biggest thing about this. A long long time ago, the tool to use for e-learning was Authorware. Mm-hmm. And my first my first e-learning mentor was a hero of heroes named Dave Street. And he, I'm telling you, he should be like, I listened to the Jane Bozarth presentation that you gave today and how there's like a dearth of, uh, how there's a lack of, sorry, how there's a lack of, you know, experts in the field 
you know, presenting in conferences. Mm -hmm. Dave Street is one of those people that should have been presenting at just about every conference. He's his his e-learning was masterful. The dude created a full on learning management system with hours and hours and hours of instruct online instruction, super interactive level three, amazing work, all in authorware. But then, you know, you, we've never, you know, you may never have even heard of authorware. I don't know if you have or not, but most, uh, most people have never even heard of authorware mm-hmm. specifically because Adobe bought it and canned it. Uh, <laughs> and it, it was a super powerful tool that used, you know, you didn't have to code. You just needed to understand the visual scripting language that that, that particular program used. And so what happened to that point, to Dave Street, you know, he had a hard time moving moving away from something that he had spent so much effort and so much, you know, and, and he wasn't the only one. Uh, but there is a there is a great deal of pain that was felt in our community mm-hmm. whenever they had to move away from that tool. Well, what what have I learned from that? And if you talk to Joe Ganchi, you know, and anybody that's been in the field a while, they'll tell you. At the risk of your at at your own peril, choose a particular tool and stick with only that tool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the, we we as e-learning developers and designers need to be constantly learning, constantly on the lookout, constantly striving. Uh, and it's a strenuous learning environment, but that's technology, and that's uh, you know, and if if we ignore that at our peril. That yeah, that was really good. Thank you. Yeah, I I, I agree. I agree. Um, I know that for a lot of people, and we were talking a little bit about this before, but like for a lot of people, just just the making in and of itself is something that is really challenging to fit into their schedule. And then along with the making, trying to learn different tools, you know, trying to constantly expand their toolbox. That's it's tough, right? And um, yeah. it just is difficult. And um, I guess I would say maybe, you know, is do what you're doing and, and pick a tool and concentrate on it for a bit. Yeah. And just, you know, focus your learning without necessarily cutting yourself off from the other options. Right. Yeah. So that's really great. So to get back to your interactive infographic if you can could you tell us a little bit about that and why sort of why unity for that like what what problem is unity solving for you in creating that infographic the client uh, for this particular project wants to display in a compelling manner what its assets are and how they operate in a highly dynamic environment Mm -hmm. You can't do that with a ping file. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you 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 know, how do I show this these assets moving in their environments? Uh, so I have to uh, be able to actually have a camera and move around that particular environment and show these assets working together, uh, how they relate to each other. And I mean, I can do that with you know, sure, I could use Blender or 3D, you know, Cinema 4D. Uh, I could go ahead and use you know, those tools, I don't know Cinema 4D and I'm just learning Blender. I'm, Blender is like, you know, so far down the list of, of, of things I'm learning right now. Right. Uh, but uh, Blender is way down there. 
specifically because you were able to pull in assets as needed. But where, you know, so for this particular, they wanted to show these assets and they wanted to be able to show uh, and all the models for these assets, the 3D models, I could I could buy them from TurboSquid or from another uh, 3D. They're popular models, mm-hmm. but I, but this client needed to show these models being used within this environment. And so how do I, you know, how do I show that? How do I, how do I, you know, and at that point, Unity was the solution. Uh, or, if, you know, I could have used Lumberjack or another tool, but because of my previous failure, uh, <laughs> my previous experience with Unity, I decided to go that route. And that's just where we're at right now. So. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if you don't mind my asking, like, okay, so somebody came to you as an instructional designer with experience and said, design me some information like how did that go well believe it or not this is more basically i believe that you present your very very best work that you and i how do i say this whenever i was a performance analyst uh my first book that i read was analyzing performance problems by uh major major magger uh and pike and uh basically it's part of the the new Mag- Magger, I, I don't know how you say his name, Magger or Madger, Robert, you know, Robert F. Madger, uh, six pack. And in that, in, in this, in, from his mindset, this is an accomplished performance analyst, uh, an accomplished, super accomplished uh, consultant. Uh, he basically makes it clear that you use models to help you figure out, including his model, to help you figure out, analyze a performance problem. But once you find out what the problem is, you do whatever it takes to, 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 to meet that need. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think of a performance analyst as a person that just does front-end analyses, that does, that does you know, job, you know, job task analyses and, and you know, very rote formulaic things that, that are dictated by some manual that therefore you must stay in your lane and do only those things. Well, what if they don't need that? You know, that's fine if they need that, but what if they don't? What if they actually need something else? And I've identified the need. What do I do to meet that need? So it taught me how to look at performance, and I'm glad I was a performance analyst first, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because it really helped me to use the human performance technology mindset that that I approach everything with. That you, you, you It's got to be about what is, what is the performance all about? What are the what do the people need to do? Like whenever I'm creating e-learning, it's not about you know the. It must be about what do they need to do, mm-hmm. and I've, obviously this is ideological. And if the client you know contests that, uh, the client's right. And then hopefully you know you document what you said and what why you know why you thought this should go this other way and and report you give that in a report. And then later on down the line, whenever they're asking questions, you could point back to that report. But in the meantime, you build the relationship and you deliver on what they're expecting. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, you know, I think that that performance mindset to sum all of this up, to, if if I'm able to meet their need, to identify their need and meet that need, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and if I'm not doing that, I'm not valuable. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm identifying a need, meeting that need that that that's good and if it requires e-learning great if it requires a job job aid great 
if it requires unity or something else, great. Let's let's wrap up our sleeves and roll up our sleeves and uh, go after that. Uh, but whatever it takes to identify and meet the need, let's let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So you 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 like all of those things in sort of in sort in your purview as as a somebody who designs learning experiences. Like all of that is free game. Like it's not. It's not like I'm I'm not an information designer. Go to somebody else. Well, I think that I think that if I were part of a larger team, first of all, that's exactly why I went after my. I just graduated from uh, the first cohort for the uh, George Mason University's Executive Chief Learning Officer Program, mm-hmm. and uh, loved it. It was awesome, uh, and and it basically was teaching me how to run a learning business. You know, and I've written a lot about that on the blog, especially it enabled me to have the, it enabled me that it served as a catalyst to go reach out and talk to other learning leaders like Jeffrey Katzman, and Joe Ganshi. And I even have a, a interview with, I even interviewed Michael Allen. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, it was awesome. But, I, you know, we, we, we did a recording. Uh, your your recordings are much better. Uh, we did the screen <laughs> recording, and I, uh, I I got basically his voice. I got on there, but my voice is is nowhere to be heard. I don't know, you know, I didn't have a settings uh, selected correctly, and uh, so anyway, I have to go back and edit that to where it's actually like a workable, usable video or something. But you know, I got to go and meet a lot of learning leaders. Uh, uh, another one that I uh, interviewed was. Uh, Anyway, you know, I just interviewed a lot of different people, and whenever I interviewed these people, I learned so much about what does it take to to run a learning business. What is it? What happens when the business fails? Uh, you know what? You know, carry on, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and what happens when the business succeeds? Well, carry on and keep meeting needs. So, uh, as far as the whole reason I went after that, though, was specifically because I have learned my limits, and and I, as one person, am extremely limited. And eventually, I want to 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 lead a team of highly dedicated, you know, uh, super talented, lifelong learners that uh, want to create amazing learning experiences. Mm. And that's, uh, but to do that, you have to know, know how to run a business. Yeah. Uh, and that's why that's why I thought it was so so valuable about the executive chief learning officer program. Uh, it was really good. Awesome, yeah. I think I've seen some mentions of that program in uh, in the instructional design subreddit. So I'm sure those people will be glad to know that. Yeah, that's a great program. All right, EJ. Last question, but not least, um, you've given us so much great information today. We're going to put a ton of links in the show notes. And one of the links will be, where can people catch up with you? EJLeBlanc.com and on Twitter at EJLeBlanc. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing so much with us. Thank you. had a great time. I love EJ's approach to adding new tools. You know, he talked about how we remain married to one tool at our peril. And really, I couldn't agree more. That's one of the major reasons I continue to encourage all of us to move beyond our comfort zones, to make time for making and experimenting. And I think EJ really made it concrete here. It's not just a matter of nice to have. 
your ability to learn new tools quickly, to jump in and make stuff with whatever comes next is directly tied to your not getting too comfortable with a single tool or a set of tools. Something to ponder. Thanks so much for listening. Please do get in touch with EJ and show him some love for sharing his experience with us. He's on Twitter at EJ LeBlanc and I know we'd both love to hear from you. As always, you can reach out to me. I'm at AnthChris or you can shoot me an email at Kristen at DearInstructionalDesigner.com. Take care.